Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello Bulls fans and welcome to the CHGO Bulls podcast presented to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Download the app and use promo code CHGO when you sign up. I am Mark K from Australia at MK Hoops. Joining me as always is the one, the only, the GOAT, William Gottlieb at Will underscore Gottlieb on Twitter. Will, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you doing? The Bulls are 10 and 14 now, so I mean, you know, how good could we be doing? But also, I'm doing good. How are you? <laughs> I, I, I sensed a bit of a bit of a downer attitude by you on the podcast yesterday, and maybe that was the influence of one Matthew Peck, who I was stunned. I was stunned that he was so, you know, upset with yesterday's win. Uh, it, it literally shocked me. And Matthew, if you're listening to this on your on your road trip to to Denver or wherever, wherever it is you're heading out to, then I just want you to know I'm still disappointed in you. The fact that the Bulls grabbed a win, I think we should all be somewhat buoyant about it, given where things had been, given the tenor of this fan base or this, or the tenor surrounding this team more generally, but like even in the national media, like things can't be perfect right now. So just grabbing a win to me is a good thing, even if it wasn't an imperfect win against the shitty opponent, but nonetheless, a win is a win. So I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling good. But I, I, I'm sensing, William, that the darkness is creeping into you. It's creeping in a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I was not, I mean, you're right. A win is a win. And when you're on a three game losing streak, any way to get a win is important. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, that was, that was an ugly game. They played terribly. The Wizards played somehow worse, but uh, you know, I, I do think in the fourth quarter, they started to figure some things out and it wasn't as just like frustrating and boring and forgettable. As, as the first three quarters, but um, I figured today we could zoom out a little bit and, and think a little bit bigger picture because these games are all sort of within the standard deviation of the same in some capacity. You have like your outlier great performances against the Celtics and Bucks, and then you have your outlier terrible performances against the Magic. But, you know, we're almost 25 games into the season here, so I kind of wanted to to think about this thing more holistically and you know, all these narratives that we were starting to get into last week about should the Bulls blow it up? Are the Bulls okay? Should they make the play in? Should they tear it down? Uh, it's just kind of interesting to to take stock of where they are uh, this far into the season. Yeah, and no, I think that's a really good, really good point. And I think I, I want to have this discussion more generally, one, because it's probably more interesting than the, than the game to game stuff anyway. But uh, I think that's probably what people want to listen to anyway, like just a more holistic approach of where things are at, where this 
may be headed and what should happen thereafter, depending on you know what ultimately may happen. And uh, I think it's a worthy conversation. And and I think yesterday's game was almost so a, you know just a bit of a microcosm as to what we did see, you know, in that singular game, but more generally across the season as well. Like this has been quite reflective of this season. I thought that that Wizards game was like, in, and what I mean by that is the team was very good on defense terrible on offense and that was ultimately the story they couldn't execute offensively yes they they shut the wizards down only allowed 104.7 points per 100 but the bulls themselves could only score 108 points uh, 108.5 points per 100 so like that defensive level would be amongst the best that offensive level would be amongst the worst and that's just you know that follows us the season-long trends that we've been seeing all year where in on, on offense they're essentially bottom five, almost 25th on offense, eighth in defense. The net effect of that is 21st in net rating, minus 1.1 in terms of point differential. So, I mean, they're the high-level high level numbers along with the fact that this team now sits 10 and 14, 12th in the East in terms of record, only half a game out of 10th in the playing spot, which I'm sure won't enthuse many to, to note that off. But I guess that is a relevant point here that even despite being 10 and 14, it's not like they've it's been separated by the rest of the East in that sense. But... I don't know. Let's let's take stock of it. I guess Th- those are the numbers at large on both sides of the ball. Uh, but what do you want to start? Do you want to start on defense or offense? Well, I think it's just interesting to look at it from like the the perspective of sort of the net rating and and how yep. they're getting there. You mentioned twenty fifth on offense, eighth in defense. Like mm-hmm. if you were to ask me before the start of the season, you know where I think they would end up uh, a mm-hmm. quarter of the way through in terms of offense and defense, I, I may have even switched them. Like, I don't think this is a top 10 offensive team, right? I don't think I ever thought that. But to be as bad as they are offensively is kind of crazy to me. Um, it, it's certainly um, maybe as surprising as them being eighth in defense. Like, you look at this group, you look at how they finish the season, you look at Lonzo continuing to to not be available, Um no real additions during the offseason except for Dragic and Drummond, neither of whom really make an impact defensively. So in terms of like both of those numbers, I think they they both surprise me, but almost more surprising is like the fact that they're flipped around from from what you might have expected. Like I know the Bulls offense was not great last year and, and there are plenty of reasons why, but 25th, I mean that's that's pretty bad. It is, but the the more I've been thinking about it, like I, I don't think that's I don't think they're the 25th best offense in the league or it flipped another way. I don't think they're the sixth worst offense in the NBA. In the NBA. I think they're probably closer to 15, 16, 17, somewhere in that range. But I don't think they're, I don't think they're underperforming that much on offense. And, and I say this because of all the things we generally say. Like One of the things that you, me, pretty much every single person that is connected to this team, watching this team, whatever it might be, what is the first thing we talk about on offense? It's the lack of three-point shooting. Like that's a thing that we consistently, consistently talk about. And right now, the Bulls are last in three-point attempt rate. Like that's a thing that's happening. Less than thirty percent of their offense, uh, or at least at least thirty percent of their attempts, is generated from the three-point line. So it's kind of hard to be a top elite de- uh, offense without having that three-point um, conversion rate. Whether that's in attempts, whether that's in makes, whatever the situation may be. Like there are some teams in that um, that do have a high-powered offense that do have a small three-point attempt rate, like like the New Orleans Pelicans, for example. They're not a team that uh, shoot a lot of threes. They are one of the better offenses in the NBA. So, I mean, it is possible to be 
you know, top 10 on offense, despite being top 10, uh, bottom 10 in three point attempt, right? But you need to have other variable ways to to influence the offense from that perspective. And the fact that they've got Zion, Ingram, and CJ McCollum, not to mention a bunch of other nice players that they have on offense, like they have the means to be an efficient offense. Whereas the Bulls, okay, you've got you've got DeMar, an efficient offensive player, someone who likes to shoot more twos and threes. We know that's the case. But it's not like DeMar is otherworldly efficient. Vooch has never been an efficient player. Like that's just not his game because one, he's he doesn't shoot uh, very well from three point line, or at least not certainly not above league average. Doesn't get to the free throw line, and we know Zach's sort of recovering from his um, from his knee issues and how he hasn't been efficient this season. So that's the, your big three. But beyond that, like there's no three point shooting. There's not a lot of guys that can do stuff off the bounce. There's not a lot of, a lot of other creators that can sort of set up the offense from that perspective. So I kind of wonder if we do or if we did overstate just how good this offense could actually be because I certainly didn't think they could be a top 10 offense. But, I mean, realistically, should they be even higher than 15th on offense? I'm, I'm not entirely sure that, that that should be the case given the personnel. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, they certainly haven't played that way. And Billy said this after the Magic game, and I think it's been true every single game, you know, before and after that, which is that, like, you are what your record says you are. And, you know, if this team was playing a lot but like I, I think they are underperforming relative to their net rating a little bit but like for the most part this is kind of who they are right now and I think that's a little bit disturbing I have a stat for you that uh is a little bit mind-blowing but also like kind of exactly what you'd expect uh 29 teams in the league are shooting 30 or more three-point attempts per game so the Bulls are obviously last they're shooting 28.4 threes per game the next closest is the Hawks shooting 30.2. So that's 1.8 fewer three-point attempts than the 29th ranked Hawks. The difference between the Bulls and the Hawks, 1.8 threes per game, is the same as the difference between the Hawks and the Clippers. Clippers are 20th. So like the gap there is just so monumentally big that it becomes really difficult to you know, find an advantage, especially when you're such a mid-range heavy team. Now, you mentioned the Pelicans. Well, they're also the second highest rated team at getting to the rim. They're they're getting there and they're finishing at a super high level. We know how incredibly powerful Zion is around the rim. Um, they do have enough floor spacers where the threat of the shot spaces out the floor and, and stretches the defense out a little bit to where they can get in there. And right now mm-hmm. the Bulls just don't have that. So, so mm-hmm. basically what you're seeing is a team that's getting to the rim at the 12th highest rate, a team that's taking... Mm-hmm the first most long mid-rangers and a team that's shooting last in threes. So just like the, the recipe there is kind of setting yourself up for failure because they're not really like, yes, you have this disadvantage in the three point attempts, but you're not doing anything to make up for that. And I think that's really what's been disappointing for me watching this offense so far is that, you know, Billy talked a lot about this during training camp and during the start of the season of like, they cannot put themselves at such a deficit analytically. Um, and so they have to find other ways to make up for that. And so what they wanted to do was get out and transition is move the ball more and not rely so much on DeMar DeRozan creating everything in the mid range. Well, they're doing that, but they're just not doing it at a very high level. So what happens is instead of getting very high efficiency shots from DeMar, you're getting mediocre me- medium level efficiency from everybody else, but the shot profiles stay the same. So, I think everything has just like gotten a little bit worse because you're taking the ball out of DeMar's hand. Now, maybe in the long run that helps you out, but for, for now 
and the way that they're shooting the ball and the way that they're, you know, the, the limited uh, attempts at the rim, it's just really putting them at a deficit. So to me, like looking at it now, 25th in, in offense does not really surprise me. No, and, and you, I mean, I had those numbers up in terms of the shot profile. I'm glad you brought it up because if you weren't going to, I was going to. And and the, when when you quoted those numbers, like the thing that was springing to mind, my mind was, well, okay, that that seems right. Like I, I and then I started asking myself, like, what can they objectively be doing to change those numbers or influence those numbers? Like the three point three point attempt rate issue, like that's not something that you can can really fix like yes okay you can have your team shoot more threes but ultimately you're gonna have bad players shooting threes is that is that a good source of offense or do you just want to settle back and give the ball to demar and zach and have them shoot their mid-range jumpers where as you noted the balls are one of the, the not one of they are the leader in, in long mid uh, long mid-range twos that's not by design that's because of the natural traits of your players similarly in terms of rim uh rim attempts you, you said the bulls were 12 in, in that now they're 12th in that, but in terms of percentage, they're actually you know shooting below ex- expected uh, e field goal rate from the uh, from the rim. So even though even when they get there, they're not necessarily efficient compared to what you would expect teams to be. But them being 12th at rim uh, attempts at the rim, like again, that kind of makes sense to me because how many guys on this roster can put the ball on the floor and consistently get through the rim? Not many. Like beyond Zach and Demar, like where is that source of offense coming from? Like how many guys can consistently put the ball on the deck? Yeah, Io can do it occasionally. Caruso maybe can do it occasionally. Kobe occasionally, but it's not like a steady, reliable source of you can swing the ball to the second side, and all of a sudden you can count on whoever that role guy is to to really get to the rim. Maybe maybe we can add Dragic there. But I guess my point is like the shot profile is what it is, not because this is how Billy has designed the offense or. This is his philosophy of how the offense should be, but I just think it's reflective of the natural tendencies of your guys. So if you want the shot profile to change, then you need, I think you need sweeping rosters of things to change. And I know a lot of fans have uh, been talking about this, this, you know, the merits of, of blowing this entire thing to smithereens. And, you know, that's a different conversation, but if you want to change the shot profile, I think you need to change the roster. Um, but that's not obviously happening in the, in the immediate, in the immediate term anyway. So, I, I, and that's that's why I'm saying, like, I think the shot profile, I think them being 25th on offense is somewhat reflective of where they actually are as much as as much as maybe we didn't think it would be. So 100% agree with you there. I think, like, ultimately the way I boil it down is, like, if you want to change the way that the Bulls are playing offense, you have to change their identity. And you can't really do yep. that when you have the guys on the roster that you have. So. I guess like the question for me now, and we can sort of wrap up offense here, is like the Bulls are 21st in uh, rim field goal percentage. They're 25th in short mid-range, 7th in long mid-range, 40, or I'm mm-hmm. sorry, 14th in all mid-range, 14th in corner three-point percentage, 17th in non-corner threes, and 16th in all three-pointers. Like, do you see any of that changing drastically enough to where the Bulls offense can sort of pull themselves out of this this gutter group of teams that they're in? Or do you think this is kind of who they are? I think it can change as Zach changes, assuming Zach can change. Like as Zach's efficiency hopefully ticks up as he starts to get a little bit more normal, let's say, as he starts to recover from things. Like Zach is a high volume usage guy. To date, he hasn't been an efficient player or at least hasn't been as efficient as what we've come to expect from Zach over the last three to four years. So if he's going to remain to be a high usage guy, 
assuming he continues shooting at the rate that he has been, then this offense is limited. But having said that, if he can remain that high usage player, get back to levels that we've probably witnessed before, then I think instead of being 25th on offense, they can be 19th on offense or something like that. Um, but beyond that, like that's the most scope I see in terms of this team from an offensive standpoint is just Zach getting back to being Zach. Like beyond that, I don't think there's uh, stylistic scheme changes that can really happen. You can't make guys who are bad shooters, good shooters overnight. Um, I don't think you can make guys get to the rim at more frequency than they're already doing so. Like that's just, again, a natural tendency of the player. Um, so I don't think there is much really to do here. And, and I know people get get on Billy for his offense, but and, and look, maybe it can be more creative at times. Maybe the ball can swing more at times. But we saw a number of times yesterday against the, the Wizards where the ball did swing. A perfect example that springs to mind is, uh, I think Damar and, and Pat had like a two-on-one break. The ball swings out to, to the left wing to Patrick Williams who has the open three, but doesn't take it. Like, so even if you try to make me do stylistic changes, I, I, I just don't think that this, this roster or these players are comfortable with it. So um, I don't want to sound too much like a doomer here, but I, I don't think there is a lot of scope for improvement here on offense. I think maybe they can get to, like I said, 19th or something like that, where we've, as, as that goes, so will the offense. But beyond that, I, I don't think there is much to to really be had here without really increasing or improving the uh, the shooting of, of the team. Yeah, I think there's maybe a little bit of room. I mean, they're they're converting in transition at a pretty low level. They're 19th in points per transition attempt. Um, they're they're getting out pretty you know a, a decent amount, but just not really converting, which is kind of weird. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're just not finishing at the rim at a very high level. Some of that stuff's going to come around. Um, but I tend to agree with you that like, for the most part, this is kind of who they are. And I, I don't think they'll be quite as bad. Maybe they devolve a little bit more into what they did last year, which obviously was a little bit more successful at times, but then you're giving up, uh, you know, a lot of other stuff. So it's a, it's a tricky line to cross, but I think, you know, it just, it just, you know, they've got almost like a 70 game sample now of this group playing without Lonzo ball and sort of understanding what the limitations are, what kind of offense they're able to generate. And like the results are not great. So I, I think it's fair to say that like, this is kind of who they are based on what they've been towards the end of last year and now to start this year. But what about the defense? I mean, eighth overall, uh, there's clearly stuff that they do well, but I mean, eighth is, is pretty surprising. I would not have expected them to be inside the top 10. Well, look, I, I don't think it is unreasonable and, and, I say this for the for three reasons, just just core defensive tenant reasons. So first, they they force a lot of turnovers. They're fourth in the league in turnover percentage. So that if you, if you're ultimately forcing teams into turnovers, you're limiting the amount of possessions that that team your opponent will have on offense. You're you're, you're impacting how efficient that offense can be from that standpoint. The fact that they're just not going to have as many possessions. So that that is helpful. They're also really good at not allowing free throws. So maybe. Really good overstating, but but they're, they're essentially mid pack. I think they sit fourteenth in opponent free throw rate. But maybe more important, and this is maybe a thing that wasn't as good last season, but they're actually second in defensive rebounding percentage. So essentially, if you're going to force opponents into turnovers, if you're going to limit free throws, and if you're going to clean up the glass and you know get on the glass the way the Bulls have been doing, like I said, second in defensive rebounding possessions. Generally, if you're doing those things well to very well and, and uh, as the Bulls are, <clears throat> then I think you can be a good and reasonable defense. And, and that's all I'm expecting of them. Are they the eighth or ninth best defense in the NBA at the, at the close of the season? Let's see. I don't know if they will be, but I don't think they're going to be that far removed from it. And I think more generally, like 
the fact that they've done what they have on defense, being eighth or ninth in defense, I mean, it does fluctuate game to game. Um, I think they were down to like 12th or 13th after that West Coast trip. A trip They've bounced back up here after the Wizards game. But more generally, they're around like the 10th best defense in the NBA. And I think that is one reflective of their season. I think it is sustainable. But more generally, like I find this super encouraging that the fact that they've been able to do this despite having one of the toughest schedules in the NBA. So if you can play this level of defense against better opponents, I would assume and I would hope that that's sustainable and possible to do so against weaker opponents as the schedule starts to get a little bit easier from here on out. So I do think what they're doing on defense is something that they can replicate across the season. And I think the way they're doing it at the moment is it's not like they're doing anything really funky or crazy or there's anything in the numbers that suggests that this doesn't make entire sense. Like I said, the core tenets of the defense, the, the basics of the defense is they, they're forcing the opponents into turnovers. They're not giving up free throws and they're getting on the glass. Like if you do those things well, generally you're going to be an above average defense. So I think this, I think this is encouraging. I think that there's some stuff that I can see translating like their, their point of attack pressure, obviously with Caruso, I don't think is going anywhere. Um, IO has looked really good on that end. Uh, a lot of the numbers suggest that Patrick Williams has been really, really strong defensively this year. I think that their execution in terms of rotations and um, ability to like wall off the paint and sort of, you know, nip these, these drives and, um, and like the cascade of ball movement that comes after that, where you spray it out and then it's extra pass, extra pass corner three. Um, I don't think that they've done a great job there, but um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're giving up a, uh, you know, a higher than average percent of shots at the rim. Teams are shooting a higher than average percent on those shots. Same thing for threes. Like the Bulls are uh, 26th in opponent three-point percentage. So like maybe that drops a little bit. You know, they've had those games like the Celtics where they hit, you know, nine straight threes in the first quarter and it's like all of a sudden you're down 18 points. So I think there's some mm. scope there for improvement or just like luck. But um, I mean, I, I do think that they're a top half defense. I'm not sure if they'll be a top 10, but I, I think somewhere in this range is maybe a little bit more realistic than I would have expected um, heading into the season. And I think you have to credit, um, you know, last night in that Wizards game, some really great defensive plays from Vooch and Damar. Like that's not something that they necessarily can hang their hat on, but like I, I do think the overall effort level to execute on some of those rota- rotations, like you, you they know what their record is. They know what the situation is. And so I think there's a little bit more sense of urgency to execute. Um, you're always going to be a little bit limited there. And so maybe there's just by, by, you know, nature of the fact that you have pretty limited defenders in your starting lineup, you might struggle a little bit. Um, the second unit has been really good defensively. And I don't think that's necessarily something that they can count on with Dragic and Drummond. But for the most part, I think that they're, they're like effort and energy and attention to detail um, has been better than last year. I think that's why you're starting to see some of these numbers shift up. Like I said, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be top 10, but top half I think is pretty reasonable. Yeah, and look, look, I'm prone to doing this all the time. So I understand why people may do the same thing. Like I'm I'm constantly watching rotations and defense. It's like one of the things that I zero in on games. For whatever reason, it's just something I, I find appealing to watch. And you will see Zach miss rotations. You will see DeMar miss rotations. Pat, I, like whoever it is, like they will miss rotations. And I have a tendency to really zoom in on that play, focus in on it, lock in on it, and think that this one bad possession is, you know, 
something that's illustrative of what they're doing on every single possession, or at least in the heat of the moment, that's where my, you know, my emotive self goes. But when you sort of take a step back and realize, okay, that was just one possession. It's not happening every single possession, but this is not just a bulls issue as well. Like every single team in the NBA misses rotations. And that's a credit to the offense of this league. Like the, the amount of offensive talent in the NBA right now, the amount, the, 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 I mean, offensive efficiency across the board is up. Like we know what the Celtics are doing on offense and the fact that they're, they're um, setting records for, from an offensive rating standpoint. But if you filter on like the, the t- top 10 off teams in terms of offensive rating ever, the, the majority of those are coming from, you know, teams over the last two to three seasons. So the point is offensive is just going up across the league. It's becoming so much harder to, to defend teams across the league, particularly these teams that play five-out basketball and have shooting all over the place. So I think more generally, like to any team that's sort of ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th on defense, they're going to have moments when they miss a rotation. They're going to have moments when they're, if they have issues from an effort standpoint, those sorts of things. If they didn't have those things, they would be the Milwaukee freaking Bucks on defense where they're, you know, they're, they're crushing teams. So I think sometimes they, they are a freaking machine because they don't do the things that I mentioned before. They don't miss rotations. They don't have their issues. They're constantly going, you know, hammer the entire game. But I guess what I'm saying, like the, the Bulls are prone to this, but it's not a, a Bulls-specific issue. So I think we do get lost in those singular plays every now and then. We do send, maybe extrapolate them and think they are worse than what they actually are. Um, when in fact, you know, as we've noted, they, they're around top 10 in defense. And I do think that's sustainable. So um, look, I, I think this is a good conversation. I want to continue it, but um, maybe we should do some ad reads first, William, because we've been banging on here long enough. Let's but pay the bells. Let's pay the bills. But more generally, I want to tell people about Shady Rays. If you don't, or if you're not aware of Shady Rays, then um, I don't know what you're doing because we, we we mention these guys all the time here on the podcast. But if you need yourself a pair of sunglasses that one, aren't expensive, two, look and feel freaking great, then can I recommend you Shady Rays? Shady Rays are premium polarized shades that feature world-class optical clarity, substantial durability, and styles catered to everyone and every lifestyle. The best part about Shady Rays, William, they have the most insane protection program in all of eyewear. If you lose or break your glasses, our friends at Shady Rays will send you replacements, whether that's on day one, whether it's on day 90, whatever the situation may be. They told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. If you drop it in the lake, if you drop it off a cliff, if you drop it in a, in, in a Brazilian beach somewhere, they will replace them. That is amazing. And and look, I think because of that, that's why they have 200,000 five-star reviews online. Shady Rays customers seemingly love this brand. And uh, obviously we do as, uh, from a CHGO point of view as well. So if you want to get, get your hands on a pair of Shady Ray glasses, particularly as we're heading into the Christmas period, the festive period, the time for giving, jump online, use promo code CHGO for 50% off two or more pairs at ShadyRays.com. Buy one, get one free. You get two pairs for as low as $54. That's freaking cheap. Now, you can redeem this only at ShadyRays.com where you find all their newest and best shades. Again, promo code CHGO for 50% off two or more pairs at ShadyRays.com. Shady Rays are great. We just got our uh, shipment in, so I got a pair at the office, and they are extremely nice. Highly recommend. Um, Before we get back into it, I want to tell you guys about ComEd Lighting. The ComEd Energy Efficiency Program is committed to helping families and businesses in the communities that we serve manage energy usage and lower their bills now and in the future. 
ComEd offers a wide array of incentives on lighting and other efficiency upgrades to commercial, industrial, and public sector customers of all sizes across our territory. Customers can inquire about how to upgrade outdated lighting and energy, uh, saving money with efficient LED lights, and learn more about network lighting to operate lights through your mobile device, and even track your facility's energy usage and more. Incentives have recently increased for indoor, outdoor lighting and networked lighting controls, making these projects even more cost-effective than ever before. So visit comed.com slash poweringbiz, that's powering B-I-Z now, to start saving money and energy. Uh, start a, pro- a project, contact them at 1-855-433-2700. For more information, email businessee at comed.com or publicsectoree at comed.com. Beautiful, William. Let's let's continue this conversation because I'm enjoying it. Um, now, obviously, we've, we've uh, you know we've addressed the high level stuff where the team is at at the moment. We've got a, a good representative sample at this point. I mean, 24 games. It's um, it gives us some insight as to where this team has been at least potentially where they are going. But I think what's important to note is the schedule, which is uh, something that has kind of annoyed me this season is the fact that we. We here on the podcast, we more as collective fan base, we as an NBA media, people who talk about this stuff, whatever it might be, like we don't put too much emphasis on or we don't wait enough the schedule that each team's playing. So like the Bulls being 10 and 10, for example, is very different to the, the Bulls being 10 and 10 when they've played the, the, the hardest schedule is very different to a team being 10 and 10 who's played the easiest schedule, I guess is my point. So we need to wait that in mind. We need to keep that in mind particularly as we look forward as to what's coming up on the Bulls. And December, from a, from a schedule standpoint, like this offers an opportunity for the Bulls to to really right the ship, I suppose. They've got the 16th easiest schedule in December. So their, their opponent average win percentage is actually just a touch below 500. In terms of the rest of the season, they have the 10th easiest schedule to go. So I guess what I'm saying is like this next two, three, four weeks will go a long way in determining what this team, what this what this team can be and what this season can be. So I know people are very quick to hone in on that 10 and 14 record with, you know, good reason. I understand ultimately that's what matters. Wins and losses matter more than maybe what uh, expected win rates or, you know, strength of schedules on those sorts of things. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying otherwise, but I think we do need to factor in that component. And based on who the pools have coming up, as we saw yesterday, the Wizards being a, a lowly opponent, there's more of those things coming. So there's more of an opportunity here for the Bulls to get back and and right this ship. And I don't know if people will want to see that, but I think the team has this opportunity to do so over the next coming weeks. So do you think over the next 10, 12 games, like that the, the one, the, the, this, this this does represent an opportunity for the team to, to sort things out? But maybe even they if they do, like assume over the next 10 games, they win seven of them. They go seven and three and they get back over 500. Like, does that ultimately change your perspective on this team, this franchise more generally? I think it changes my perspective on this team for this season, but I still have a ton of questions about this group and the direction beyond this year. And I think that's kind of where this sort of narrative about tearing it down or blowing it up or, you know, restarting pressing the uh the the button that just like takes it all down but you know because like yes they have an easier schedule for the rest of this month and i think that there there is an opportunity here to get closer to 500 but then Mm -hmm. you look into like january and it's like 
Milwaukee, Cleveland, Cleveland, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Utah, Boston, Golden State. It's like just the NBA is really hard. And uh, yeah. for, th- for them to make up enough ground to where not only are they getting into the play-in you know, area, the play-in tournament range, but they're also like looking competitive enough to like win one of those games and then maybe even be competitive enough to uh you know be competitive in a playoff series like i think that that's a another two levels up that i'm not sure that they have the gear to get to but for me like this next 10 game stretch really like the rest of december where they have 12 more games i think is going to be like the most important stretch of the season the defining stretch of this Bulls group and whether they keep it together or start to strip it down. Um, they have four games to make up. I, I don't know if they can, you know, go eight and four over the rest of the month and, and get back to 500. Like, I think that would be a obviously like a huge, huge step forward. And I think that would make me, you know, feel a lot more confident about just like the level of play and the direction of the team, but they've got some hard games in here too. And I, I don't think that, um, they necessarily have to get to 500 to be sort of on the right track, but it's just, it's an interesting time because I guess the point here is that like, yes, they have a relatively easier schedule this month. And yes, they have a relatively easier schedule for the rest of the season, but with the amount of ground that they have to make up um, just to get back to 500, just to get back into play and range, I think that is sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel and they need to do a little bit more than that for me to feel better about the the long term like the short term if they can get back to 500 and, and get into the playing range that's great um like i said tall order to go eight and four i mean right now they're you know win percentages uh f- i think 41 or 43 percent which is like yeah. on track as yeah. a 30 34 win team so like they mm-hmm. they have to prove that they are better than that and basically the only way to do that is to win these games um so from like that, that's like a results standpoint, right? Like you look at the the mm-hmm. wins and losses, but yeah. you also have to factor in the process and how they're actually looking. And based on that, you know, conversation that we had before the break, you know, I think you, you have to factor some of that in too. And, and the way that they're defending, I think makes me a little bit more optimistic. Um, the, the scope that they have to get better, I think offensively, if they make some tweaks, makes me a little bit more optimistic. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's about wins and losses. And um you know, they, they've just got to, they got to do it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've got, they've got to do it. And, and this, this will be a defining stretch for the season or for the team and, and maybe what happens thereafter. But let, let me, let me read off the schedule coming up on Saturday. They've got the Mavericks at home. That's a, that's an important game. I believe the Maverick, Mavericks are coming off a back-to-back in that situation. So that should be an opportunity for the, for the Bulls to be a good team. They're at Atlanta on Sunday, a team that's going to be without DeJounte Murray um, a team that's seemingly going through their own inner turmoil with uh, Trey and Nate McMillan having their issues the other the other week. Uh, DeAndre Hunter has been injured. John Collins has been injured. There's, there's scope there for this team to, to get a win there on the road against Atlanta, or at least they should be in, in within the frame to do so. Then, then They've then got a, a, uh, a two-game stretch against the Knicks, both at, in, at the United Center, two games against the Knicks. The, the Knicks are on under 500. They've just lost Obi Toppin for a stretch of games. They then go on a four-game road trip where they play the Minnesota Timberwolves, a team that's at 500. They've got the Heat, a team that's very in a, in a very similar position to the Bulls, who's multiple games under 500. They've got the, the Hawks again. They've got the Knicks again before playing the Houston Rockets. So the next eight, nine games, whatever you want to call it, like there's a lot of teams here that are in a similar position to the Bulls 
who I think, you know, from an argument standpoint, the Bulls probably are playing better than some of these teams. Um, or at least they should be playing better than some of these teams. So over the next sort of eight to nine games, if you can win six of these nine games, not only have you back back at 500, you've gone past 500. And in terms of where things sit in the East, like at the moment, the Brooklyn Nets are fourth in the East. They've got a record of 14 and 12. They're two games over 500. This Brooklyn Nets team only a couple of weeks ago were where the Bulls are right now. So a lot can change in the NBA very quickly. But like more generally, there's like eight or well, maybe not eight. There's maybe like six teams that are hovering around 500. The Hawks are in fifth at 13 and 12. Like they're one game above 500 and they're fifth in the East. The Pacers are one game above 500. They're sixth. The Raptors, the Sixers, the Knicks, those teams are seven through nine. They're either slightly above 500 or in the Knicks case, below 500. So I guess my point is there's a lot of teams grouped up in that 500 range to the point where we could literally be talking over the next two weeks. The Bulls have sort of gone from 12th in the East back up to 7th or 6th or something like that just by, if, just by going on a nice little run here. And I think this schedule gives them that opportunity to do so. Now, will that make people happy about that? Will that maybe change the things or the people's feelings from a holistic standpoint? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe this team being at 500, being 6th or 7th in the East won't sway the minds of those that you know ultimately want to win championships or those sorts of things. But I guess my... My rebuttal to that is like, why are you coming into this season expecting this group to win, win big? Like, what? Why are they your expectations? At least from our standpoint here at CHDO, I think you and Matt predicted what, like, forty-two wins, something like that. Dave and I were a little bit higher, I think, at forty-four. Like, we're not talking about a team, or we certainly didn't expect a team to come in here and be a, you know, one of the better teams in the East. At, at, at this point of the season, there's only really three good teams in the East or three contender-level teams, the Bucs, the, the Celtics, and the Cavs. Like, beyond that, it's open for whoever wants to grab it. But, like, I mean, even beyond that, like, did we, did we really expect the Bulls to be sort of competing with the Celtics and Bucks and Cavs? Like, I personally didn't. And I guess my, my question to those listening who have those views are, like, why was your expectation for this team to be something more than a 41, 42, 44-win team? And if you did expect that, like, I guess I have to ask you the question more generally, you the listener, why was that your expectation? But maybe you didn't even have that expectation. Maybe you maybe you knew this team was going to be a 42-43 win team, something like that, maybe one that could get to the first round, ultimately losing the first round, and you're not happy with that. I guess my question more, more broadly to those people is, like, what will make you happy? Like, can will you not be happy unless your team is competing for championships? And if that's the case, it sounds like you will never be happy because how many teams are routinely competing for championships year on year? Um, so that's a long rant to say, I, I don't know what people's expectations were. I think they've been a little bit below expectations through 24 games, but I don't think they're that far removed from what they can be. And I think over the next two weeks, we will find out if that's true or not. Um, and I'm, I'm willing to adjust my perspective on whether this, this group should remain together based on, you know, how the next 10 or so games go. But if they go the way that I think they can, then the balls are back to where I expected them to be. And, like I said, that's completely fine with me. That that meets my expectations. If it, if, if that bothers other people, then I don't know. I guess that's a, a question for those people to answer. A lot to unpack there, Mark. Um, I think I'll start <laughs> Sorry, with I ranted the, the last I ranted bit. There. That's all right. We, we love a Mark rant. Uh, I think the last part is is sort of the, the key place to start for me, which is that like they do have an opportunity here. Um, if they can get themselves on track, and I think for me that means like you know, they're four games under 500 now. Can they get to 500? Can they get to, you know, one game below 500 and actually put a stretch together, not just two games in a row, but like 
four, five, six games of competitive basketball in a row where they're starting to get themselves back on track. Because I think for me, and the reason I am kind of coming around on the, um, I don't know about like tear down, but like uh, just like the idea of making some overarching changes with this group, I'll put it that way, is because um, you just like, yes, the the expectations were 42 wins. That's like nothing, nothing like crazy to write home about. But like, are you building something? Are you using this opportunity where you have an all-star player in DeMar DeRozan, a free agent who comes in and wants to change the culture of your team? Are you are you leveraging that opportunity to get you into the next great Bulls era, whether it's with DeMar or whether it's after he's moved on? Um, right now, it feels like not. You know, are you using this opportunity to really develop your young players and turn them into like the next, you know, great players of the Bulls organization and, and Patrick Williams and Io and Dalen Terry and, you know, whoever, whoever else they have um, in the next year or two in the draft, if they keep their pick or if the, if the Blazers pick um, conveys or whatever it is. And like, to me, the answer to that is no, like we just haven't seen any growth there at all. And, and it right now, it just feels like they're, they're waiting around um, for Lonzo, which it seems like that's just not going to happen this year. And they have sort of made this plan to evaluate their group as fully healthy. And because Lonzo's, you know, still, you know, up in the air and and not sure if he's going to be able to come back and, you know, is two months out now, two and a half months out from his second surgery and still isn't doing anything remotely close to to basketball activities, like you're not going to be able to make those decisions before you can see your group fully healthy. So for me, I'm not saying that they should tear it down, but I think the argument to tear it down is you have this opportunity. You have to look at it as an opportunity where you're, you know, in, you know, sixth place or whatever it is in the, in the tankathon standings right now. And Mm -hmm. we know that this is going to be a very competitive tank race this year. So you, you have this opportunity where you're already in a decent position. And if you try to, you know, get yourself back up to 500, over the next 12 games or whatever, are you just like, are you losing out on that, that opportunity to then, you know, trade Damar and get some picks or trade Vooch or, you know, make a decision about your future, which it seems like they have to do in the next couple of months. Anyway, I'm not saying that they should do that. And I doubt they will do it, but I think that's the argument for me is like, is what we're seeing here is what we're building here worth continuing on this path for. And I think the reason why a lot of fans want to, start to, to make some major changes because the answer to that is no. And um, yes, you don't necessarily need to be competing for a championship in order to like have a good fun team. Like you can look at the first 50 games of last season when they were awesome. And, you know, I think we overestimated them a little bit. Like we were talking about them as, you know, a, a mm-hmm. one kind of player away from actually contending. Um, mm-hmm. But like, that was a really fun, exciting era of Wolves basketball. And I don't think they were going to win a championship, but like, I'll take that every day of the week. But right now it just seems like they're so far removed from that. You have a eight and 15 finish the last year. You have uh, a five game playoff series, um, which for the most part was completely non-competitive. And then you start the season. Um, what is it? 10 and 14. So like the, the sample size of them being not good of them being uninspiring of them, not really building towards the future in any capacity, I think is getting to the point where, you know, you, you have to make some decisions and it's tough when your, your pick is outgoing, but you have an opportunity 
to maximize your chances of keeping it because at the end of the day, they could end up giving up the fifth pick anyway. And so if you're if you're going to get to that point, maybe you may as well try to get some some additional assets longer term anyway. So again, I'm not saying they should do that, but I, I get I certainly get the argument based on what we've seen and where it feels like they're building. The Doomers have got you. That's that's what I took away from this. The Doomers have infiltrated William Gottlieb. They've taken a hold of, of your mind, and I'm here to try to influence you back away from the ledge. But um, before I do that, maybe we can maybe we can meet some more, read some more ads. I want to tell everyone about Pins and Aces, who is the official golf apparel partner of CHGO. We love our Pins and Aces gear and get tons. I mean, tons of compliments on and off the course, course with our Pins and Aces gear. Pins and Aces, they are a family-owned golf and apparel business. They make amazing polos, hats, golf bags, and most importantly, they stock even our favorite, our most favorite item, the beer sleeve, the innovative product that allows you to store seven beers right inside your golf bag and keep drinks cold the entire round, round, uh, the entire round you're playing. So how good is that? Check out pinsandaces.com. Use promo code CHTO to receive 15% off your first order and get free shipping. That's pinsandaces.com. Also want to tell you guys about our friends at DraftKings, which is just the GOAT sports book. I've been using that app forever. Actually, like first started using it years and years ago when it was just daily fantasy, but now doing my sports betting there as well. This time of year, everyone is excited about gifts, the holiday spirit, but what about basketball? When I throw down on NBA action, it's got to be with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NBA team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Plus, everyone can combine multiple bets for a bigger payout with DraftKings Same Game Parlays. Download the app now to get in on the Holiday Hoops action. Sign in with code CHGO. Place a $5 pregame money line bet on any NBA team and win $150 in free bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook using promo code CHGO. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I love betting on uh, on Christmas Day games. Just to, like parlay the entire sit on sit on your couch, eat Chinese food, and bet on basketball. That's what I want to do. <laughs> is that what you do for Christmas? Is it eat Chinese food and bet? Yep, exactly. Jewish <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, we each we each did have our own customs and traits and uh, things that we do on Christmas. I, I can't say I've ever had Chinese food on Christmas. That's, that's a new one for me, but um, certainly never bet on Christmas as well. But uh, no, that's all good. All good. Let's let, let's talk about um, – well, I want to continue this conversation because, like I said, I think the Doomers I've got – I've got an idea of who these Doomers might be that are infiltrating your mind. I've got some ideas of people I think – You think I'm so DMs. impressionable. You think I, I can't come up with thoughts for myself. That's exactly right. You know? That's exactly you right. People, I mean, look, sheep. people as beautiful as you and your hot blondes like yourself, they generally are very impressionable people. So. I'm just – I'm a sheep. Can, you're a sheep. Um, but in, from that perspective, like, I'm trying to sway you back. So I, I guess I, I personally think it is completely irresponsible to suggest that this team should be blowing it up or trying to rebuild, particularly when you don't own your pick. Um, I think I think I'd be more inclined to to go down the path of picking a lane and that lane being blown up if they did have their own pick, if they didn't owe top four protected pick to the Magic. Because I, 
Like the reality is, even if they be- become one of the four worst teams in the in the NBA and they have one of the, the one of the best chances at getting a top four pick, the reality is like it's basically a coin flip that they don't get that. So in the example whereby you flip Demar for whatever it might be, you trade Zach, you trade Vooch if you could even get anything for Vooch. Like what what are you getting for these guys? You're ultimately getting picks probably that are owed to you in 25, 27, 29, whatever the situation may be. Everyone likes to bring up the Lakers as an example. Like they only have available to them the 27 and 29 first round picks. So like if I'm trading DeMar for picks that are not here or not necessarily going to convey for a four, five, six years, whatever the situation may be, depending on the pick. Like it's not like you're getting something to to, to supplement your rebuild now. It's not like the Jimmy trade where you're getting back some pieces which you can maybe talk yourself into. Like I'm, I was someone that was very much against the, the package they got back for Jimmy, but at least you can talk yourself reasonably into, well, Zach's a, a real thing right now. Lowry's a real thing right now. Chris Dunning's an actual thing right now. Whereas a pick in 2027 and 2029, I mean, we're talking about like 12, 13-year-olds, kids that aren't even in the NBA yet, mm-hmm. something like that. So it doesn't help your immediate rebuild. Nor does the situation with the, with your own pick situation because you may not have a 2023 pick, whether it's your own or the Blazers pick. You may be like you may literally be tearing this thing down with no pick at hand for the 2023 draft. The 2024 draft doesn't seemingly, based on you know the things that I've read, that people would know this stuff. Like it's not like there's going to be a Wemby or a Scoot in that draft. You don't. You potentially don't own your pick in 2025. And like I said, if you're trading Demar out. You're trading the Zach out. You're doing so for future assets. So you're rebuilding, you're retooling, you're doing that sort of thing, but you're not actually having any assets that are going to help you immediately or potentially if you don't keep your pick in 2023. So that's why I'm very much against that angle. So you frame it as an opportunity, which I guess it is, but I don't think it's an immediate opportunity. I don't think it's something that's going to help you now. Maybe you can get you know for something for 2026, 27, 28, like that time period. Four or five years down the road, that op- opportunity may uh, you know present itself at that point, or at least the fruits of this opportunity will present itself at this point. But in terms of trading those guys for things that make sense now, I don't think that's really. I don't. I don't, I don't know if I would class it as an opportunity, will because you're not necessarily going to get the benefits of that for a long time. Yeah, I I agree with that, and I'm not saying like you just give those guys away. Like it has to be the right deal. I think what I've what I've said this whole time and and i still believe that is that you don't just like tear it down to tear it down you tear it down because you view this opportunity as as um a chance to make yourself better in the immediate or long-term future um so unless you're getting like some sort of valuable asset whether it's down the line and now or just now that sort of helps kickstart things and make up for some of the assets that you still have going out I don't think it's worth it because even if they're going to be bad this year, like it's still, I think better to have the culture of having a good team to have all stars in, in place um, and hopefully be able to build not just through the draft, but like through free agency and trades. Um, I don't, I don't know if I'm at the point where I'm, I'm, I'll say it this way. I'm definitely not at the point where I feel comfortable investing more assets into this core. Like I think we, we, we we know enough to know that they are not worth like trading the 2027 and 2029 picks that they have still to try to get mm-hmm. more guys. I don't think they're there yet. But at the same time, like you do need to make a change. Something needs to change because the way that things have gone so far is just not good enough. And so 
yeah, for me, if you have an opportunity to make a, a deal that you think is better value than the direction you're on right now, I think you definitely have to consider it. Um, I view the pick, I think, just differently than most people. Most people are like, you know, apoplectic about giving Franz Wagner to the magic. Like, it doesn't work that way. Like, they gave the pick that turned into Franz Wagner, but like, that was the trade. It was, it was the pick. And like, the pick that they've given up right now is top four protected, but it's already out. Like you can't do anything about who it ends up being or where it ends up going. All you can control is or you, and you can't control where it ends up. But if you have an opportunity to um, try to maintain it, to try to keep it in that projected range, you try to maximize your odds to do that. And that means getting worse this year. It's not a guarantee, but at the end of the day, like you're going to lose it anyway. So you may as well just like do what you can to try to keep it. And if you don't, then whatever it was gone, it was gone and out the window regardless. So, I understand the flattening of the odds and why people would view that as an argument not to tank. But like for me, um, it's just, it's out the window anyway. And if you can, and if you can um, recoup some of the assets that you have going out, maybe they're not quite as valuable as, you know, the fifth pick going to the magic, but if you can recoup, you know, two picks for DeMar and, you know, two picks for Zach, then you've all of a sudden got net plus one pick on the on the on the team that you constructed two years ago i i think like this whole idea about it would be an embarrassment the front office would never tear it down um look at what they did it would just be like a disaster to change lanes so quickly after pulling the trigger on you know investing so many future resources on this group like no you just you do what you do to make the team better whether it's short term or long term I think we're at the point now for me where it doesn't make sense to try to do that short term. So if you're going to either get better or stay the same, fine. But like, I think you got to do something. And uh, to me, staying the same, I think is just, I, I think there's a very good chance that if you stay the same, you give the magic, the fifth pick anyway, like the way they're playing right now is just Whoa. not good enough. Maybe they, maybe they, the, the maybe they improve. Dude, they're not good right now. They're just not. Like you don't you don't win games. They're, they're not the fifth worst worst team in the NBA. They're not the fifth worst team in the end. They're, they're not going necessarily going to give the Magic the, the the fifth pick in, in this situation as it currently holds. So you can't convince me you're right. of that. You're right. I, they're, I, they're tied for six. They're the sixth worst team. You're right. <laughs> oh, I mean, are you angling for a job on ESPN? Is this is this ultimately the the grand plan schemes for Will Gottlieb here? Is this is this what you're doing? Like you, you sound like someone on, on a, an ESPN platform at the moment. But but look, I'm I'm being facetious here. But like you 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 made a point that I fundamentally disagree with. Like you 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 spoke about maximizing the opportunity that might present itself, and you're not saying this is your definitive view, but you're saying you understand this thing. So maybe I'm I shouldn't be ascribing this all to you. But I guess my if you're going to suggest that that, um, you know, essentially blowing up the team to, to increase your odds of keeping or maintaining that pick. And, 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 and that's the strategy. Like that's the ultimate headline of the strategy to, to bring this pick back into play, to make it, to make it no longer a sunk cost. Then I think if that is the strategy, like and you're trying to tear this thing down so you can keep your 23 pick and get your hands on a, on a scoot, on a Wemby, on a Thompson to win, whatever the situation might be, a Cam Whitmore, whoever it is depending on where that pick falls in the top four, then it's no longer a sunk cost. So I don't think if that is the strategy to go after and to tear this thing down to maximize your chance of getting that pick, I don't think we could so brazenly just say or wipe our hands of it uh, in the event that it doesn't convey. 
Like if you don't keep your pick, but you've ultimately geared the situation where you've tried to keep your pick, you don't get it. It lands in five or six and goes to Orlando. Then you have to, like, it, or, I guess what I'm saying is if, you, if you're trying to make it not a sunk cost and then it ultimately becomes one because you don't, the, the, the odds for whatever they do, then I don't think that in that situation, it's just like, okay, shrug my shoulders, let's just move on. I think you would be reeling at that point because you've ultimately geared the situation where you're trying to get your hands on a scoot or a Wemby because that's the entire reason of tearing it down, or at least the primary reason for tearing it down. So that's a part that I fundamentally disagree with. Like if you're ultimately trying to get that pick, you're, you're trying to get it, meaning it's not really a sunk cost. And, and you know, trying to there, wipe your yeah, hands there after and saying it is there's a sunk a, cost. There's a protected. I, I don't... It's protected. Yeah. Like there, there is still an opportunity to get it. But I think what the, what like I'm trying to say is, uh, again, you don't just do this to, to try to keep your pick. Like that is not the reason to do this. The reason to do this is because you've decided this group is not worth moving forward with. You want to make changes. Mm-hmm. And because you're able to get valuable assets in other capacities, if you are able to keep your own pick. That's part of it. That's fine. But like in order to do this, you don't just like give DeMar away for two picks that you won't see until 2027. I mean, it's like four years in the wilderness. Like there, there has to be a good reason that gets you closer to the next team. It can't just be like, all right, let's put the ball in Patrick Williams' hands 30% of the time and see if he can like become a player. I just, I don't think that's quite a, a compelling enough reason to do it. But if you can get really valuable assets or young players or, um, or maybe it's just like, trading Vooch and then you, you, um, you know, try to retool around the current group, but like DeMar has a year and a half left on his contract. Vooch is expiring mm-hmm. at the end of the season. If you, yeah. if you look at it from a, a perspective of just more than this year, mm-hmm. you'll realize that like you do need to do something. And yeah. um, I think, I, I, I do think, blowing it up and tearing it down is like the easy way out. And I don't think that that always benefits you. Like that's just, that's like the easy thing to do. Um, So I'm not saying that they need to do that. And again, like this whole, this whole thing is like contingent upon the fact that they actually do get value in return. But my point is you have to, you have to start thinking about different ways to improve the team, whether it's short-term or long-term. I'm not in a, I'm not in a spot right now where I feel good about investing more future resources, whether it's the, the the Blazers pick that may never convey or the 2027, 2029 picks or Patrick Williams. Like, I'm not sure I'm ready to trade those in order to get this team better. Um, I'm not sure I'm ready to say Lonzo's coming back and that's going to get this team better. So what is it that you do to get this team better now? Or are you okay with just maybe missing the play-in, maybe getting in and losing the play-in, maybe winning a play-in game and getting into the first round. But like, then you lose Vooch. Then DeMar's got one year left on his contract. So I'm just trying to look at it from, you know, not just this year. And I think um, when, when people suggest that they should blow it up, I think that they're looking at draft picks. Like that's, that's all that matters here. And, And I, again, I do not think that that is the reason to do this. I think the potentially getting a chance to keep your pick is a byproduct, but like the the real goal has to be improving in some tangible capacity in the near future, not just like the 2027, 2029 future, because that to me is just not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, obviously we're, we're, we're dealing in hypotheticals here. Who the hell knows what's actually available, if anything good at all. But uh, 
you're right. Like ultimately, the Bulls need to do something. They need to make decisions because they, they're going to be forced into that situation. Zooks, uh, Vooch is an expiring contract. Kobe, you got to do something with him. Io, you got to do something with him. Javante is a, a free agent in the offseason too. So like, irrespective of what lane you're choosing, you've got decisions coming your way which are going to force your hand. You mentioned DeMar too, like one and a half seasons left on his deal. Are you going to be planning on keeping DeMar beyond his current contract? Yes, no, depending on... Maybe they don't know the answer to that question. But I mean, more generally, irrespective of whether they were winning on pace to win 50 games or 25 games, like this team had decisions coming their way. But uh, in terms of the lane they take, I, I, I guess we'll see. But I, my, from my point of view, like 24 games in a season isn't enough for me to to blow something up or to... to I, to I con- agree with that, but I think the, the counter there is um, the opportunity to get ahead of the, the tanking craze is now. So if you're going to do that, you got to make a call. And that's where I think... I don't feel comfortable yet is like making that call now when you do have a little bit of an easier stretch coming up in the schedule where Zach is starting to look a little bit more like himself. And, you know, maybe you are a little bit closer to Alonso coming back. Like there are just so many hypotheticals to where, you know, you, you can see a world where they are in the play in right now, or they are, uh, you know, racing for the final playoff spot. Uh, so for me, like doing it now feels really hastily, and I don't think um, I don't think they're ready to do that. But then, you know, if you do get up to 500, and the rest of these teams that are going to start tanking, like the Pacers or something like that, the Spurs are have lost like 11 in a row. Like all these teams are now getting ahead of you. It's like I I do I I do understand that there is sort of a bit of a sense of urgency to make a call, and I. You know, they, they can't even trade Zach till January 15th. I don't think they're going to do that. Um, I don't think they're going to trade DeMar tomorrow. Certainly hope not. But um, yeah, I just, I get, I get the uh, the sense of urgency, whether it's from fans or just like the front office, uh, you know, Kirk Goldsberry on the podcast with Zach Lowe. I can't remember if we talked about that last week, but he, he made the analogy of like, you pick a lane on the highway, but you don't keep driving with, when you get a flat tire. Like you, they do need to make a change. I'm just not sure what the, what the best move is. And Maybe there isn't one. Maybe there's not a great move. And so maybe there is that in and of itself is a good reason to to keep on the path that they're on. But right now it just, it, and I think we can both agree on this is like it, something needs to change. hundred oh, percent. I mean, I don't want them to continue winning at the rate that they are. I, I think they won't. I think they will improve. Uh, and look, my opinion might change on this whole thing. Like, like I said, if at the end of December, they haven't maximized this opportunity to 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 right this ship. Like I said, I think there's a realistic scenario where they could be above 500 at the end of December. If they don't do that, if they lose more than they they win and they remain below 500 after 35, 40 games, something like that, that's a big enough sample for me where you've played a hard schedule, you played a weak schedule, and you're still ultimately coming up below 500. After that point in time, yeah, okay, I'm more amenable to the idea of really changing lanes. But now based on we're making all these sweeping decisions based on a team that's gone through the hardest schedule in the NBA. Can we at least get to a point where we've seen it a bit of a mix, see where it ultimately lands, see where this team would generally lands itself. Like, I mean, look, I won't point to the, the examples around the, the rest of the league, but there's, there are a lot of teams in the middle right now. The Bulls are one of them. And this is not just a Bulls issue. 
the teams that are tanking towards the bottom, you're not catching them in, uh, anyway. If you wanted to be in that in that Wemby and Scoot race, you needed to start the re- the season in that race. You know, starting it after 25, 30, 40 games, whatever the situation may be. Like as you noted, Zach can't be traded until until Jan fifteen. So like, there's going to be 40, 40 odd five games, in, but before you can even seriously tear this team down. So yeah, it is what it is. But like, but all that to say. Like, this is the time to start thinking about it. This is not the time to make any moves. But, like, if we're talking about after 35 games, we'll see how they are. Like, that's 10 games from now. I think this is the time where you at, you at least start having those conversations internally. Well, I and mean, I'm sure they are. But I, I guess I'm speaking to the fans here who <laughs> who have wanted this thing blown up 10 games ago. So uh, whilst, yeah, the, yeah. Whilst, the, whilst the front office may won't be making a decision in the league more generally... I mean, there's a reason why every single team hasn't made a deal yet, like whether that's to improve themselves or to, to bottom out, whatever the situation may, may be. It's not like there's moves happening around and the Bulls are the one team not making moves. Like that's not a situation at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I think the front office is consistently evaluating these things. Uh, but in terms of, yeah, I'm speaking directly to the people that wanted this thing blown apart, you know, 5, 10, 15 games ago. But anyways, look, we, we could continue this conversation for a, a long, long time. And I'm sure this will be a continued theme that we discuss you know, you, I, Matt, Dave, the fan base more generally will be discussing over the, the over the coming weeks as the Bulls go through this light, lighter schedule. So the next couple of weeks are going to be super important, as we've sort of talked about before. The team is what they are right now. We'll see where, where it ends up after after December. And I think we'll know at, at, at that point, or at least have a better perspective of where things sit with this team, where this team sort of fits into the NBA landscape more generally and, and what they potentially can do from there. But um Time will tell, obviously, but well, let's call it a day here. Uh, anything? Is there anything that I haven't touched on that you wanted to touch on before we get away? I just I think it's worth reiterating for me that like the value has to be there. If they're going to do anything, it's it can't just be blow it up to blow it up. It has to be you're getting good value, and it's making that major life decision worthwhile. So. I get both sides of it. I, I don't think they should do anything right now, but like I, I do think you have to start thinking about what direction you want to go and how you can maximize your value on the way there. Good point. So you, on that, just like as an example, trading Zach Levine's for Victor Oladipo on a first-round pick, not good value, yeah? I don't think it's as good a value as Obi Toppin in a first-round pick. Right, Okay. Okay, just just trying to establish the baseline here so I can picture that in my mind. But good, good to know. All right, well, he's yeah. been Will Gottlieb at Will underscore Gottlieb on Twitter. Um, at MK Hoops. Obviously, you know where to find us too. CHGO underscore Bulls on Twitter. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. The guys will be back tomorrow. Is it tomorrow the Bulls play? The uh, No, we are not back the- tomorrow. We uh, will be back pregame on Saturday. I should know that because I'm going to be on post-game on that show. So <laughs> I should be aware. But we'll be back. Next time the balls are back, we'll be back on CHGO. You know where to find us on in, in your feeds, whether that's on YouTube, whether it's in podcast players, whatever the situation may be. You know where to grab us. AllCHGO.com. You know where to get us. You know where to follow Will's writing. You know where to follow my tweet storms online. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. William, have a good and safe trip. But uh, we'll speak again soon, my friend.